1: Are you a woman who's ready to excel in her career and her life? Are you ready to be a professional saleswoman by using your inherent qualities? Are you a woman who wants to be better prepared for a leadership position? Then you're in the right place, Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman. It's about women in business, work-life balance, leadership, and current events related to gender communications. Be prepared to be inspired, motivated, and challenged. Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman is your connection to women nationally, internationally, and globally. So get comfy and see what the buzz is all about. Find out more at www.sellinginaskirt.com. Now, your host, Judy Hoberman on C-Suite
2: Radio. You know, I can remember when I was growing up, never really fitting in. I danced to the beat of my own drummer and didn't follow anyone else, unless, of course, it was the Beatles. My friends told me to be more like them and my parents wanted to be more like what they wanted me to be, square peg, round hole, when all I really wanted to do was feel like I belong. Research has shown that sharing family traditions and stories from generation to generation is valuable in giving not only children, but also all family members a sense of belonging. And belongingness is one of the primary needs of human beings. Belonging gives you a sense of security, confidence, and support. It gives you a purpose. Now, I was thinking about different times growing up when there was a glimmer of belonging. Sometimes it may seem like a little thing, but when you look back, it was really something big. Now, it could be a tradition that's carried on during the holidays or something that you did during the summer or the winter together. Now, I can remember every summer our family, my parents, and five kids would pile into our station wagon and take a road trip. We lived in New York, so the road trip was somewhere in that state. It would be about two to three hours away and we went to a game farm and fed animals into a state park, and we went hiking and swimming, and we always went out for dinner at the end of our journey. Now It was nothing big back then, but it was something we all look forward to. As adults, our families are more spread out, and doing things on a regular basis is not as easy, but there are certain traditions that stay intact and new ones that are added to keep that sense of belonging. Now, one that I started about 16 years ago is our Thanksgiving tablecloth. In a nutshell, it's an inexpensive white tablecloth with a bunch of permanent markers in different colors. Now, this is not the tablecloth that you eat on. This is the one that you put on the floor, and everyone that's with you on Thanksgiving gets down on the floor and writes what they're thankful for. They sign it, and they date it. Now, with all the great technology, we have those that can't be there in person, so they FaceTime with us, and as they dictate their message, we write it down. Each year, people are added, and sadly, many are gone. Tradition, perhaps, but when you see your name on that tablecloth year after year, you know you belong and that you're connected. Now, I always post about this tablecloth, and it's funny how many people have started it and how many other people are still just talking about it. For me, it's a tradition and an easy one to pass down. Sometimes we go back and read what we wrote from the year before, or we see who we added and see who we lost. We tell stories about how this began, and those stories turn into conversations about growing up and how different it was and how different it is. So you need to share memories of your childhood, your grandparents, and other family and friends. You have to keep telling stories over and over. And sometimes the original story has been so embellished that it's funnier than it was. But the story is continuing and those memories become part of each other's history. A sense of belonging is felt and everyone relives those memories. It's important to carry those traditions with the next generation. And as you do that, guess what happens? The new memories are included in your children's into the family unit. And again, the sense of belonging is real. Now, as I said, I've always been that square peg in the round hole and never felt like I really fit in. I know the saying, why try to fit in when you were made to stand out? But sometimes you want to know that you just do. But what about in the business world? How important is belonging? So there was a survey conducted by Culture Amp and Paradigm with a focus on whether people feel a sense of belonging in the workplace. The definition of belonging, according to the report, was where workers feel secure, supported, accepted, and included. Kind of sounds like family. So how do you create a sense of belonging in the workplace? Well, that report offered six approaches that businesses can take to achieve the goal. They are, number one, be open about belonging and encourage discussions. Number two, establish a shared vision. Number three, measure and analyze. Number four, foster better social bonds. Number five, establish mentoring initiatives. And number six, be proactive about inclusion. So how are you doing with belonging in your work environment? Is there room for improvement and opportunities for growth? As a leader, are you providing an environment where people feel they belong? What I do know about myself is that I want to support and empower professional women and provide them with the tools so they can succeed and live the life they want, and more importantly, that they deserve. That's why I created the Walking in the Glass Floor Foundation. It supports and empowers women by sourcing, publishing, and distributing educational materials for women in leadership positions those aspiring to be in leadership positions, and organizations that support women in leadership. Our pledge is to financially support our mission by donating a portion of every Walking on the Glass Floor book sold back to companies, associations, charities, social causes, and scholarships. Joining us means that more and more women will walk successfully on that glass floor and stay there. Now, we carefully and thoughtfully work on this every single day, and we thank every company that purchases book for their leaders and every single person when they buy just one book. And we wanted to create a space for women to belong, no matter the reason, no matter the position, and no matter if they fit in or not. As Brene Brown said, those who have a strong sense of love and belonging have the courage to be imperfect. We're gonna take a break to thank our sponsor, Walking on the Glass Floor. And when we come back, you're gonna hear from my guest who will share her thoughts about belonging and purpose. This is Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on C-Suite Radio, and we'll be right back.
1: What happens after shattering the glass ceiling? You're now Walking on the Glass Floor. Walking on the Glass Floor, seven essential qualities for women who lead is a timely and indispensable business guide for all women. Whether you're moving out of a dorm room or moving into an executive suite, Introducing readers to the seven keys to success in business and life, Judy Hoberman brings her fresh voice, sales-savvy, and thoughtful approach to each of the essential and most powerful leadership qualities. Written in her trademark, no-nonsense, glass-half-full prose, Judy's blueprint for business teaches all women how to cultivate and strengthen key skills that will serve them in both business and life uncover amazing qualities they already possess that will help them lead and succeed and harness universal leadership qualities to continue reaching their full potential. By providing authentic real life case studies and inspiring quotes throughout, Judy fills each page with the timely advice women need right now. Walking on the glass floor is like having Judy Hoberman sitting right next to you as your business mentor, personal life coach and best friend all at the same time. You can order your own copy of the book at walkingontheglassfloor.com.
2: Welcome back to Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on C-Suite Radio. It's time for my very special guest, Melanie Lightborn Rowe. She's a native of Nassau, Bahamas. She's worked in the field of education for over 22 years and has served in the capacity of a classroom teacher, instructional coach, leadership coordinator, eighth grade sponsor, senior class sponsor, ASB coordinator, parent and community liaison, and dean of students. She's earned her Bachelor of Arts degree in Liberal Studies from the Master's College in Newhall, California, and also received a Master of Education in Educational Administration and Leadership Policies from the University of Texas at Arlington. Melanie received the California League of Middle Schools Educator of the Year Award in December 2012 for Region 8 and received the organization's title of State Educator of the Year in March of 2013. She's the writer of three books, Strike, Our Performing Arts Approach to Bullying, Things I Wish I Knew, and her most recent book, Am I Daddy's Girl? Melanie's platform serves to heal broken relationships, especially those involving fatherless sons and daughters. So welcome to the show, Melanie. I am so excited to have you here.
3: Thank you, Judy. likewise.
2: Awesome, so I wanna talk first about the discussion of the day, belonging. What do you think when you hear that?
3: When I think of the word belonging, I think of being a part of a culture, um, one that supports you, one that encourages you, one where you're actually allowed to have a voice, and that voice is not stifled. So to belong to something means that you are an integral part of something amazing, and which can include community, it can include family. Um, it doesn't matter what it is. As long as you know that you're a part of something, I think that's a very powerful thing to have.
2: Okay. So what happens if you feel like you don't belong? How can we help somebody feel like they actually belong? Like I said, I never felt like I belong. I always thought I was kind of this weird person that just happened to be there, but didn't actually fit in.
3: True. I mean, you know, I think that for me, I feel the same way that you did. And I think it was more because of my physical appearance, if I can just be really candid. Um, I grew up in the Bahamas, like you said, and at about three or four years old, I started to have these things on my on my body called, you guys call them tags. We know them as moles. And so my mother told me that at three years old, they started to come on my body and they came onto my body in massive amounts and I didn't know what that was. And so for a long time, I really didn't feel like I belonged because I felt that people were constantly staring at me, constantly, um, I was telling my sister this the other day, holding their necks to see whether or not they had moles like I did. And, and growing up in the Bahamas, it's is very hot. And so I remember wearing um, a turtleneck in 90 degree weather because I didn't want anyone to see my body. And that literally followed me through high school, through college, and I didn't feel a sense of belonging until people kept coming to me and say, oh my God, you're so beautiful. Oh my God, you're so gorgeous. Like Your moles are so unique. And I forgot I lived in California. I chose California as my home and Californians by nature are very creative people. And so what I saw as ugly and what I saw as you know, just this horrid feature um, I had to deal with in uh, my soul in the flesh um, that I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life. Others saw it as a mark of beauty. I think that the way that we can have people, um, the way that we can embrace people is to, as a society and as a, as a human race, accept people as they are. And instead of picking out the negative things about someone, constantly embrace those things that are different. I think that's what my my community of friends, my colleagues, my Students, um, they always saw the beauty in me. And so it was up to me, really, at that point, to start seeing the beauty in myself. And so they accepted me for who I was and who I am. And I think that we can do the same. When you see that someone is isolated, put them in. Bring them in. Let them know that you can see them. Let them know that beauty that they have is something that you, you really embrace and you invite into your own space, into your own life. And so that's what I try to do, especially as an educator. I'm working with students. When I see that child that is a little secluded and, and kind of a recluse and, and just kind of not being noticed, I intentionally notice that. I intentionally give a loving tap on the shoulder or I invite them into my room when during nutrition and lunch just to let them know, I see you. Mm. I see you. You have a space here. I think that's the way that we need to do that.
2: Absolutely. I so agree with you. And it's, I think part of that whole story is that we also have to accept it in ourselves. And I know that we are our own worst critics and we, we find all the things that are wrong. I know, I, you know it's, it's interesting. I, I was saying before that my husband is a, a professor at universities. And I remember distinctly his very first semester, he got all his, the surveys back. And he had you know, in one class, I think there were seventy something students. And almost every single one said, "Oh my God, I, you know you're awesome and you taught me so much." And one person said, it was a little confusing. He focused on that portion of it as opposed to, and that's what we do to ourselves. Somebody's telling you how beautiful you are, and yet you find that one thing that is wrong. So I think that that's mm-hmm. that's probably a good part of that. So with that story about you and and everything else, Is that how you found what your purpose was? I did. In a sense, I did.
3: Because sometimes we have to take those things that we feel are negative and we really have to suppress that in order to really hold on to those things that are positive, that will speak into you. And so when people speak into my life, I've learned how to take that and to run with it. And so when someone says to me, Melanie, oh my God, you're so brilliant. I've never seen that. I've never experienced that. And so now... When they say that, I'm like, you know what, Naomi, you are, you are, you, you are, you are gifted with many talents. You are able to do many things well. And you don't say that in a brag, in a sense of bragging, it's more embracing that which you've been given and be able to flourish with that. And God has blessed me with a lot of, a lot of things that I can do. I mean, I, I can sing, I can act, I can write, I can do all of these things. And that in of itself creates its own kind of audience. not in, a, in an academic sense, per se, but a brilliance that allows other people to see you through a different lens, depending on who you're speaking to, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I, I think that my purpose now is to understand that as Melanie lives and walks and breathes on this earth, there is someone that needs the part of me that's the educator. There's someone that needs the part of me that's a loving and compassionate human being that can see the worst in someone and bring out the best. There's someone that actually needs me to to be the singer and so my voice can soothe situation. I haven't sung in a long time, but <laughs> you know, and someone needs me to be a writer. Someone needs to be released in my writing, you know, and so in my writing, I've I've been able to witness people actually mending relationships because of my writing. And so whatever it is that I'm allowed to do, my purpose is in intermingled in that situation. And so it, it empowers me. Or it even empowers them. It empowers me to at my best, be at my greatest um, at all times. And that's, I think that is what I'm supposed to be. That's what I'm supposed to do. And that's what I'm here for.
2: Awesome. Okay, so you said that you started writing when you talk, we talk about writing now, you talk about writing your books by accident. And as we all know, <laughs> there's no such thing as a coincidence or whatever. So tell us how that happened by accident. I'm using air quotes, by accident.
3: Yeah, I, I do say by accident. And here's why. The first book I wrote, Drake. That one wasn't by accident. That one was intentional because I was working at a school. I saw a lot of bullying as a dean, and I decided to kind of write it from a different approach. Where you know, we I wrote these plays, on um, these sketches where the bully on the campus actually was a part of the play. And the premise of that book was to make make sure that the bully played the part of the child that was being um was being attacked, was being victimized, that was being played, and the kind of flip script. And so that one was not by accident, but Things I Wish You Knew was written um after having a very tender conversation with my boys. I'm raising them as a single mom and single parenting is the most difficult thing I have ever, ever done in my entire life. So no one ever chooses that path. And so I was sitting down with them one day and I wanted to hear how they were feeling about the absence of their father. And so we talked and these are the babies, these are kids, you know, it's like, how are you guys feeling? You know, you want to talk to mommy about how you're feeling? And then it was like, <laughs> it just came out, just spilled everything they were feeling. And they articulated that the best way that they could as kids. And when I went to bed that night, I just crying. I was a mess. I cried for probably an hour until I went to sleep. Woke up the next morning, thought nothing of it. You know, it's like, okay, that was a really deep conversation. I think about a month or two, yeah, about a month or two later, I kept hearing this, this still small voice saying, you know what? You need to write, write this stuff down. Write, write the book. What book? You know, I kept thinking, what are you talking about? What, what is this? What is this? Write the book. Write the book. And I was like, there's no book in me. I don't understand what that is. So finally, I thought about the conversation that I had with my kids, and I wrote it down. Literally, Judy, I wrote the book in an hour. Yeah. And I love poetry. I just started writing, and it was more therapeutic thing for me, more than anything else. So it, was, it was therapeutic. I got it out, tried again as I was writing it, and I closed the book and put it away. And so, and thought nothing of it. I was like, oh, that was nice. <laughs> nice experience. Cut out, cut off my chest. Amazing. Great. Put it away. And could you not? I'm checking through my emails, and at the time you know you're very conscious about spam mails and anything that comes to you. And so I saw this email, and it said paid hey, publishing. I don't know what paid hey, publishing. What is that? Um. So something told me to open up this particular email because I don't usually do that. I opened up the email, and there it was. It was like we're a publishing company. We, you know, accept me a certain amount of authors per year, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, that's cute. That's, that's really cool. But you know what? Within another probably a week or two, I went to the email and still small voice again, send your manuscript, um, send in your manuscript, Melanie. And my what? I'm sorry, what manuscript? I don't have any manuscripts on me. I literally wrote it on the paper, paper that I tucked away in a drawer. I was like, huh, maybe I should send this in. <laughs> and I did. Within two months' time, I think it was, I got a letter back saying, "Hey, we want to, we want to your story. We want to write your story. Want to, you know, market your story. Want to do everything with. It. If you're willing to do it, here is what it would cost. Da, 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 da. And there it is. And I had my first book. And so, I mean, it was just, it was for me accidental because I never expected to see email. I never expected to have a personal therapy session with myself where I'm writing a book. I never expected it to take an hour. I didn't think about this journey. And it just kind of had a metamorphosis, I guess, to the next book, which is um, Am I Daddy's Girl? And so, you know, my book signing for Things I Wish You Knew, I had women uh, and men coming up to me and saying, I mean, as I did the reading, there were tears coming from the adults in the audience. You know, not necessarily the kids, but the adults. Mm. Because I realized that these adults had unresolved issues. And so when people ask me, so what's, what's the age group of your, I'm like, you know what? There is no age group. If you have an unresolved issue, handle it, take care of it, fix it, heal, move forward, you know? And so, and, and that's where I guess that's where it came from.
2: Well, and it's true because you can't move forward if you still have these unresolved issues. And it's, but it's really very difficult sometimes when you allow yourself to share that. And, and a lot of times, you know, it, just saying something out loud is is starting starting of the healing process. But it's hard, and so mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're saving a space for people to you know have to allow them to be safe and and you know, you're you have your arms wrapped around them, not you know literally, but you do. So with all of this, there must be a lot of gratitude that you have for so many things that have happened to you. But you also offer people your generosity. So. So where does gratitude fit in? Where does it come into play in all the things that you're doing in writing the books and in teaching your students and, you know, in singing in whatever else you're doing? Where does gratitude play a big part for you?
3: Gratitude plays a part for me when, you know, we talked about earlier being seen. And I think that the gratitude comes when someone is able to see me and to hear me and to hear my heart and to appreciate what I'm able to offer. I attend an amazing um, uh, church um, in the Granada Hills area, and uh, the first time I would ever really been seen um, was there. And they basically, the pastors there were saying, "You know what? We don't know you yet, but we've heard about you." And I heard about me. What are you talking about? You've heard about me? Well, like your reputation precedes you. I'm like what? Like so, people are talking about me. And whenever we hear that someone's talking about you, you always go to the negative. Like, what did they say? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Become concerned. Like, what did they say? Who was it? it?" You know. So, and then the smile came with. You know what? Here we embrace everything, and you can go ahead and fly. When I heard that, I was like, what? Places actually telling me I can fly with my gifts and everything I want to do, and oh my god! And so it was amazing for me to understand and stand in a space where someone comes back to me and says. You know what? Thank you. You changed my life. Thank you. You you stopped me from committing suicide. Thank you for allowing me to have an open door to ask for forgiveness. Thank you for sharing your life story with me. It shows me that I'm not alone. I remember a young lady saying to me, "Thank you for showing up to work every single day and sharing with us that you are you are actually working while you're sick and can't believe that you show up every day because I was diagnosed with lupus while I was teaching um, high school. Um, I actually fell out and passed out in front of my students, mm. and I showed up every single day after having chemotherapy every weekend. I would throw up for the weekend and come on Mondays and fight through, you know. And my student came back to me one year and she said, You know what? I was diagnosed with lupus. And I knew at that moment when I was diagnosed that I could make it because I had a teacher, named name is Lightborn, who came to work every single day. And she showed up every single day, whether she was feeling great or not, she showed up. And I know I can make it through this disease because you did. Thank you for showing me how to deal with pain and disappointment and fear. Thank you. you know. And so when I have students that come back to me and I have colleagues that come to me and, and share with me, what my little itty bitty bit of contribution to my profession and what a small contribution I've made to someone's life, when they come back to me and they say thank you, that tells me that I'm so grateful for that because it tells me that I have purpose mm-hmm. in this life. I have a voice that needs to be heard, I have a heart that is huge and filled with compassion and love, people need to have. Um, an experience um, from my perspective. and it feels good. It feels amazing to know that every night when I lay my head down on my pillow, I know that I'm changing somebody's life because of my walk, because of my talk, because of my writing, because of everything that I've been blessed to do. So I'm grateful for for life.
2: I love that. I love that. And you are a true leader. You know, I always tell people when when I say something about being a leader, they say, well, I don't have a team of a hundred. No, no. If you're leading yourself, you're a leader. So, what would be the best advice you can share with some a, a woman that's in a leadership position, whether it's themselves or corporate or you know whatever? But what would you share with them, knowing what you know? That's an interesting question.
3: Um, I've shared on so many different platforms, not large platforms, um, but just in smaller group settings. Be authentic. Be yourself. Reach deep down within to find out what one thing is that you feel will change another person's life and step out of your comfort zone and stop being so quick to self-sabotage. I think when we sabotage ourselves, we rob the world of who we are Mm -hmm. and we rob the world of of what we can of. And so because we're so saturated with, with I'm not, not enough, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not sufficient when we say that and we can't hear who we really are. And so to women in leadership, I would say lead with confidence, lead, this is going to sound weird, lead with fear that you have because fear keeps us Mm humble. Absolutely. Don't not lead, you know? So I I tell people, if you're going to in a leadership position, still embrace the fear of leadership because there is fear that comes with that. At the same time, um, like I said, that fear keeps me very humble and allows me to understand that at any moment, your gift can be snatched from you. And, and really, literally, given to someone else that's going to use it for what it's intended um, to do. So if you're a woman in leadership, embrace the journey. I, I know that doors are just beginning to open for me. I know that my platform is much larger than what I see right now. And I'm not just teaching to students and and working with colleagues, but I believe that the doors are beginning to open for me to really have a larger platform to influence other women, influence young people, influence people in education, to really be the best educators that they can be. And that's, you know, I have another book coming up that's going to address that. Really understand that you're on this earth for a purpose. And if you don't walk in that purpose, then why are you here? Why are we here?
2: Yeah, Lead. Absolutely, I love that. So, when's the book coming out? I know you could write it overnight. <laughs> and, I, and I did. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know what is so funny, Judy? Um, when, whenever I um, have a signing, so I had a book signing for the Things I Wish You Knew, and someone said to me, Melanie, this is incredible. What about the women? What about the girls? Because the little boy, there's a little boy on the front cover of Things I Wish You Knew mm-hmm. because it's about my kids. And they said, What about the girls? Why one for the girls? No problem. I did that. I wrote it, and here comes Am I Daddy's Girl? When I did that, signing someone says, "Melanie, you're an educator. Write one for educator." And I said, "You know what? I'm really thinking about doing that." And so I sat down, and yet again, within an hour or so, I pushed out the newest book, which I'm hoping will be released before the end of the year, and it's called My Teacher Doesn't Understand.
0: Ooh.
3: <laughs> yeah, and so I, I, I kind of, I don't know how I got into this space of really talking about things that are a little bit uncomfortable, that need to be said because they bring about healing. This book really is, is, is to heal teaching, in the teaching profession, because there are a lot of teachers that are oblivious. In fact, these kids that show up in your classes every day, there, some of them are not coming just because you love being at school. Some of them are coming to get a meal. Right. Right. Some of them are coming because it's the safest place that they can be. You know, some of them are coming because they really, really need to have a sense of belonging and friendship. I, you know, I'm teaching online right now and I'm afraid for the kids that are sending me messages saying, are we really going to be out until June? And I'm like, oh my God, it's tugging at my heart because teachers don't understand. that these Kids are coming to us from high levels of poverty. They're in gang-infested areas. They are dealing with abusive parents, may be alcoholic, whatever the case may be, and school, you, you, your presence is a safe place. It's supposed to be a safe place. And many teachers don't understand that. They still ridicule these kids. They still mark absent, mark them party. Um, and they, they, you know, they are very unfeeling when it comes to personal circumstances with kids. So this story really goes through a chronicles as uh, a chronicle of a child, a journey of a child that goes to school every day until his teacher his teacher sees him mm-hmm. while she's working in a food kitchen and she's working in a, a food line, and she actually sees her student coming through the food line because he is poor. and she's like, "Oh my God, he has an epiphany, like, this child is in my class." And I never knew.
2: Right never knew right. Right. It. Yeah, That's going to be awesome. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. And, it, and it, yeah, we you. definitely need that. So so how can our listeners connect with you?
3: Well, I am on uh, Facebook on Mel Sean Core. John and Corey are my kids' names. I'm on Facebook under Mel Sean Core. And then I'm on Instagram on the same uh, same tag. And I'm also on my website is melanielightbornro.com. And so they can catch me there. And those are the three tags that I have, and I know I'm on. I'm not on Twitter as much, and so. But the main ones are um, Instagram and and Facebook. Awesome,
2: awesome. Well, Melanie, I want to thank you so much for sharing the mic. Boy, oh boy, do you have such great information and insight, and I think it's terrific. And I'm excited to stay connected and create some adventures together.
3: Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Really appreciate it. You are it.
2: quite welcome. And I want to leave everyone with another quote by Brene Brown. She said, our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. I thank you all for listening to our discussion where we share some extraordinary guests, some ideas for your business, and ways to stand out as the amazing women that you are. Now make sure you stay connected with us. And remember, women want to be treated equally, not identically. Until next time, this is Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on C-Suite Radio.
0: Like what you just heard? Visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.